Hello. Hello. <laughs> My name is Loic Maestrachi, and I'm a musician, professional marketer, and amateur pizzaiolo and football player from San Francisco. Welcome to the first episode of Tell Me Something Good. Joining me today is Miami music producer and engineer, Frank Socorro. Welcome, everyone. Frank, how have you been? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Uh, it's great to be with you today. Oh, thank you. It's always nice to be with you. Yeah. So here, here we are. We're doing this. Uh, so, Frank, do you want to tell folks why we're here today and what they should expect from us? Yeah. So, Loic and I got together and decided that we were going to host a bi-monthly podcast uh, where we'd speak to our friends about their experiences in the industry and, more importantly, like that spark, like what initially got them into music um, and just talk to them about what they think, you know, we should know about them and tell us something good. Yeah. Yeah. So, why don't you start? Okay. So, uh, you know, it's our first episode, so, you know, we... Loic and I spoke about what, you know, we should tell you guys who we are and a little bit about ourselves. So yeah. um, I'm going to go first. So uh, for me, I grew up in pretty much in my grandmother's house. So I didn't live there per se, but I spent a lot of time there. I'd go there after school every day. Um, and I have two uncles that are just slightly older than me. So not so much uncles, but more kind of big brothers because um, they're only slightly older than I am. Um, so a lot of times after school, I'd ride the bus to my grandmother's house and both my uncles would be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so they were already out of, you know, they were, I just finished with high school. Some, one of them was beginning to start going to college. The other one was already working. So at this time during the day, they just happened to be home because one of them worked nights and the other one had classes at night. So, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, they were both home. They were both really into DJing. So they had already been DJing um, for some time. There was a lot of equipment in the room. So that kind of, <laughs> they already started to influence me, the fact that there was tons of equipment. Um, and then on top of that, the music that they were playing was not the music that kids my age were necessarily listening to. So they were like late 80s, early 90s dance music from New York, so mainly like house music. So. Um, stuff like Louis Vega, like Frankie Knuckles, um, that kind of like really New York and even some of like the Chicago-y, like soulful mm -hmm. house stuff. Um, and that really had a big impact on me even to this day um, because of the way the music, that kind of music is made. Like those chords are very, they're very dense. They're very kind of like, I don't want to, I hate saying jazzy, but kind of on the jazz, jazzier side. They're bigger chords. Um, even, even sometimes borrowing from like, you know, uh, gospel stuff, um, especially with the vocalist. So that, that, that really made a really big impact on my life as far as, um, uh, like the kind of music that I'm in, into. So even later on in life, as I, you know, started getting into like different types of music, I was always looking for those chords that made me go like, Ooh, like whoa like that was really cool mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that that pretty much and i talk about those two guys all the time and i don't think they know because they don't listen to podcasts but we, we should invite them we should invite them. we should i don't think they know how much like i think about that stuff all the time 
I don't think they understand how like how big of an influence they were at such a pivotal point in my like so mental development. I think the podcast we should de- we we know we're gonna have an audience of two at least because we're gonna send it to your uncles <laughs> and they're gonna have to listen to it and I'll be like okay and then we invite them. I think that would be cool. I think they would do, do it because I don't think that they uh, I don't think that they know and yeah. I think. Are you trying to have people cry on the show? I think that's what you're, you're trying to have. Like. We, we, want em- <laughs> well, we want emotions. For sure, we want emotions. Otherwise, we can talk about plugins. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, that that pretty much, for me, it is was like the big. That's like the meat and potatoes of, of yeah. my musical journey. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, we rehearsed this. But the first, the thing I said the first time, and I will repeat here, which is still true, is we share a lot of things. This idea of listening to music that was not contemporary to our time. You know, uh, my dad was a touring musician. He left, uh, well, let me step back. My parents are from a small island south of France called Corsica, uh, which is known for beautiful scenery and history, but not really being a big uh, um, economical uh, uh, region and my dad always wanted to do music in his life my parents met in Corsica but if he wanted to pursue a career in music he had to leave for what we call the capital so he left for Paris and started career and I think in the mid 70s early 80s he had a very successful uh, music career he was uh, touring with some top of artists uh, from the 70s and 80s he was even doing like primetime tv shows um, which quite quite interesting. And at the same time, my mom, um, when I got into music, uh, was well, before I got into music, was uh, working on a record label. Um, I believe it was Arista or some, t- some type of this. But what it means is that there were both uh, music instruments at home, uh, keyboards pl- mainly uh, from my dad, and a bunch of LPs uh, that my mom would bring from work because she had access to it. And uh, so similar to you, I would listen to music, you know, I grew up in the 80s, but I would listen to a lot of music from the 70s, uh, which was a lot of R&B, a lot of funk, a lot of disco, uh, both from the US, from the UK, and, uh, and from France as well. And while in the 90s, um, uh, other kids were listening to a lot of kids music and pop music, uh, my, my, my influence was kind of music from two decades before. Um, and this remain until today. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I was not expecting to make you laugh at that point, but okay. <laughs> no, I, I think that the, well, because the same thing happened with me, and it wasn't necessarily that I was listening to older music. It was just I was listening to music that the kids my age weren't listening to. Yeah. So while like my contemporary friends that were my age were listening to a lot of like that early 80s, that late 80s and 90s hip hop, and I was listening to that stuff as well, I also had this like other music that I knew about and they probably wouldn't become familiar with it so much later. Um, so it just, it was, it was different. And then later on, it affected my career. Like I ended up, I at one point worked on a Louis Vega record and, and working Incredible. with people yeah, and working with people who, who work with with Louie and, and doing a lot of house stuff. And when I knew the references, they would always be like, what? Like, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't make sense. But yeah. 
I, I you know, it definitely affected me. I started listening to actually music, contemporary music. So music of like, like I would start listening to music of the year I was in very late. It's when I started working in music uh, myself. I work on distribution and that would be a story for another uh, podcast. But it's really in the, in the 2000 where I would literally, I listened to Lady Gaga um, Poker Face the basically weeks before he was released, you know. Uh, because mm -hmm. that was my job. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> I would always listen to music very, very many years after it was released. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm going to ask you a question. What was the record that you feel like gave, left a big impression on you? Um, so there is a record uh, from a group called Inner City, and they were like a, I guess, like a dance duo. Is it? Yeah. I don't even know if it was two people. I just know there was two people in the video. I don't know that. Just... So you're going to have to tell me everything. So I, I actually never, uh, to be honest, I've never like looked them up and see. I just know that on the album cover, there's two people. There's a guy and a girl. And in the video, there's two people. I don't know if they were together. I don't know if one guy's a producer and she just, I don't know how it works. I just know they have this one song called um, Good Life. Yeah. And it's this like kind of now when I listen back to it now, like the piano sound is pretty crappy but i think it's of that time it's probably like a corgan one or something like piano sound with like the with the slap delay like so it's like and but just those chords were like super of that time just like these weird housey chords and the girl singing on it she had a really the melody was cool and i don't know man like that record that record is to me like that record is everything and it's such a like people listen to it like and i'm sure whoever's watching this might go and check it out and they'll be like this record and i don't know man that, time, that record for me what time is this record from what what period um i think it's like maybe 1990 or maybe 1989 or yeah. somewhere between 1989 and 1981 somewhere yeah. in there um it's very um it's very of that time yeah like when you listen to it like with the drum loop and and you know, kind of like that soul to soul drum loop thing. And um, a lot of those records use that same drum loop. Um, I don't know, man, it's just something about those chords. And there's like this weird sampled lead line where it's like, you remember people used to do the thing with the voice? Yeah. They'd be like, oh, oh, oh which yeah, people yeah, started yeah. doing again. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's the lead line. And it's, I don't know, man, I, but I love that record. I need to listen to this day. I need to listen. To it. <laughs> you I'm should gonna, listen to it. It's I'm weird, but I will. man, I, will. I love that record. I love that record. It's yeah. such a like, I have it here somewhere on vinyl. It's here in my house somewhere. I, um, I, I think to me, I'm going to drop some obvious names and you're going to be as an, you know, someone who grew up in the US, you'll be like, oh, Loic, you cannot be original. But let's not forget. <laughs> No, let's not forget I, forgot, I, I grew up in France. And I think yeah. the, the names I'm going to bring up are household names. But in a way, it summarizes the, why American music, the, the impact that American music or American artists had on music around the world, the cultural influence it had. And frankly, the type of things that made me love America and wanted to come here at some point you know, uh, in, my, in my life. Um, and, you know, I, again, I go back to the records that were, because that was my music library. Um, I look at the records that we had on the shelf and I may have a photo like when I was a kid. So one day I'll, I'll pull it up. But it was like, you know, a lot of Earth, Wind, Fire, a lot of Steve Wonder, a lot of Chicago. Um, 
Imagination was a big record uh, at home. It's a band, it's a R&B disco band from the UK. By the way, I'm not ashamed of di- saying that I love disco. Uh, There's nothing wrong disco with disco. Is dead, <laughs> but I, it's Disco's interesting awesome. because actually disco is like something that brought a lot of cultures together, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of Whitney Houston um, and then some, a lot of French, what we call French variety, uh, Chanson Française, not Chanson Française. Chanson Française is more the 60s, the Serge Gainsbourg, the Françoise Hardy, which actually are very popular in the US, but... Um, the 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 variety française was more like what was developed in the 70s and 80s with uh, Sardou, Balavoine, um, a lot of Jean-Jacques Goldman, big artist. Uh, Jean-Jacques Goldman actually became very famous because he he did the first uh, French album for Celine Dion. He was famous before, but and, wow. and one of them was uh, Claude François, who actually built his career. Um, adapting uh, American pop songs um, in in the late 60s and, and in uh, French, like you would say in French. French. Yeah, it, the music would be the same, but it would basically have he and and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and a songwriter would basically adapt the, the lyrics. And he built his career by adapting a lot of those French people. They're, they're French song, sorry, American songs. And there is a couple of artists that blossom in the 60s and 70s doing that. And then he did this turn of he wanted to look for a new sound and he was really into uh, disco and he started really that disco wave in, in France. And that was really the, the thing, you know, he built those classic disco tracks that actually I think one of them I played at my wedding in Tulum in 2017. So, <laughs> and got all the French people on the dance floor and losing their mind and all Americans were like, okay, let's do it. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's so very familiar names for you. Um, and kind of not original, but for us, it was really the influence of American artists, um, or at least in my household, uh, because my dad was a big fan also uh, of those artists. Sure. I mean, um, I think people that aren't from the U.S., when I, whenever I've spent time abroad, they're always like, oh, I love this and I love it. And I'm always like, well, you, how do you know that? Like, why Why do you know that? Why is this so important? Like, when yeah. you go to... Like you go to London and you listen to Radio London, it's all like a bunch of soul stuff, and you're just yeah. like, "What? Like, why?" Yeah. You? But it is important, and it's important to everybody else. Unfortunately, it's not as important to us here because I guess you know, it's There's like so much music, and there is so much. And and what's interesting, uh, I notice uh, uh, in the US is um, there's this aspect of your heart for a minute uh, or for mm-hmm. a time, and then you're kind of cliche, and people want to move on. And mm-hmm. uh, now being old enough, I've seen that some artists actually came back, you know, mm-hmm. uh, strong. But I would say in Europe, you have bands. And actually, that's another band that I wanted to mention because it had a huge impact on me because I started my first band in France where we were covering a lot of their songs. But that's, it's Toto. And it's, it has literally, it, it's a legend band across Europe. They do, uh, when I started listening to them in the mid-90s, they were doing stadium. I mean, stadium tours in Amsterdam. They wow. would play at the Arena. They would play. I saw them at Paris-Bercy. Bercy is like the staple center of Paris. Okay. And then when I moved to LA in 2000, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm talking about like the worst band in the world. <laughs> <laughs> People are shaming me for, for calling them up. But what I appreciate in it's their musicianship, you know, the fact that there was a part for the keyboard player. There was a part for the guitarist. There was, of course, a part for the drummer because it's an iconic drummer mm-hmm. and, and so on. And, and this is more where, 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 where I look at them. And um, 
personally, I developed a, a total cult. And when I arrived in the US, actually, some of my good friends uh, also are big fans. Um, and when we arrive in the US, we're like, what is this? And now, but but also what was magic is now we'll see Toto at the House of Blues and Sunset, you know, small right. venues and be super close. I'd be like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, we tend to have a kind of a love-hate relationship with our popular acts here, which is very, I don't know what it's about. It's yeah. very weird American thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, so you, one question I wanted to ask you that, that record, do you list, still listen to it? Um, so I don't always listen to it. I don't listen to it a lot. Um, and, and we kind of touched on this, um, before, but I kind of don't listen to it a lot cause I don't want to ruin it. Cause like, I think in my brain, not even once it's a year. Just, no, yeah, no, I'll, every now and then, like, I'll just, I'll go down a rabbit hole, like, you know, somebody will play like some house record from something and I'll be like, oh, that's cool. And then I'll go down some wormhole of, of obscure house records. And I always end up there. Like, that's like the the cherry on it's like, boop, at the end of that wormhole, I'll just be like, I'll just play it and then I'll just feel satisfied. Um, but I just, in my, like that record lives in my brain. So it's like, it's like going to visit somebody. Like yeah. you don't always have to go visit them. Like they, like they're, they're you know, like your time. your favorite person in your family. Like they're just, it's just. And I know that's weird to say about a song that's like so obscure, but it just it, it lives there rent free in my brain. You know, there's a record for me, uh, but it's for the opposite. So I was uh, went by the time I, I developed my musical test, um, I got very influenced by um, actually my dad's best friend was a drummer, and both. When they were young, they were in school. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he introduced my parents to each other. Oh, uh, so very a special matchmaker. person, a matchmaker. And then he was a drummer, was playing with my dad, and they left Corsica and went to Paris. And he had a v- also a very successful career on its own. I mean, he played with household names like Charles Aznavour, as an example. He was his drummer, which I know is, fam- is known in the US. Um, and uh, he was. Uh, more than my dad I think my dad early on but he was because my dad at some point started listening to new music my, his his friend and his name was uh, Max Raffo uh, also from a, a family of musicians um, kept listening to new things and of course things with uh, great drummers and one of the things that he he made me discover was Michel Camillo which you may okay. know. Mm-hmm. And basically, he, just, he knew Michel Camillo. He knew of Michel Camillo because Michel Camillo actually broke, broke, um, uh, brought uh, to start, well, made made Dave Wakel famous, or was the first one to give Dave Wakel, uh, the drummer, uh, a, a gig. And there's a this record called uh, "Why Not," which is just incredible. And there's this track called "Just Kidding," and uh, and I was like, I'm, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with the, how the, the, the technique uh, from Michel Camilo, and I tried mm-hmm. to duplicate it, and I, I was unsuccessful. And eventually, I'm like, okay, look, you won't pursue Karen music. You're going to do something else because you cannot play as good as as, uh, as 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 Camilo. And this is unfortunate. This is much later that I understood that you know, um, you know, you don't have to be the best pianist to enjoy making or playing music. You don't even have to be the best singer. (laughs) (laughs) 
So for full transparency, we love the first time and we put it down on our script. So we love the second time. <laughs> okay. So Frank, this is it. Tell me something good. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is kind of uh, Loic and I discussed this, and, and we'll do this with all our guests. We just yes. want them to tell us like some cool music fact. Um, and I picked one that I learned um, actually this year. Oh. So in the yeah, I just learned about this. It was like some random article that popped up, and then it just I went down a rabbit hole. So apparently, like the in the 30s and 40s, <laughs> in the 30s and 40s, uh, Cuba was very in style. So the mambo became a very popular, like just ballroom dance thing and all the competitions, world competitions of dance, there was a lot of Cuban dancing. Um, so the music became very popular and spread around the world. But later on in the 50s, when they went through their revolution uh, and obviously some of their, uh, actually at some point, uh, Cuba actually sent troops to the Congo to help with their revolution. Um, ah. The that part, Yeah, that part of that, that central part of Africa was then kind of entrenched with Cuban culture one more time. And they were listening to Cuban music. Um, and the musicians from there, now, let me stop right there. Let me just say that anybody who's familiar with any of like the Caribbean music knows how big a part uh, the African slaves that were brought over yes. plays in that music. Obviously, yeah. like, you know, we have Afro-Cuban music and yeah. we have, you know, you know, Afro Latino people. Yeah. So the fact that then this music goes back to Africa and then we have bands in like Senegal who are listening to this music, but they're reinterpreting it, not using the exact same instruments, but actually using like electric pianos and like oh. guitars to reinterpret this music. And they start playing this stuff, but kind of in their own style. So there's one band um, and it's called Star Band, uh, Star Band The Car. And they were just a band that played in a club and, and it was, I guess they were the happening band. And I just love that. Like the, the, the music kind of like went, went in a circle, like it left Africa, yeah. it yeah. went to this place, it morphed and then it comes back and it's morphed one more time into this new. So if anybody, like if you're familiar with like, you know, Afro Cuban, like Mambo, song, all that stuff. If you listen to this music, like you hear that, but they're like, singing in Portuguese or in Senegalese and they're playing like electric guitars and weird like cheap keyboards because obviously that's what they that's have. What um, <laughs> but it just, it just, it's like a really cool interpretation and I really dug that. I thought that was super cool. So that's, that's no my idea. cool fun fact. Yeah. It's, if you go listen to the music, like it's like, you could even just close your eyes and just imagine that they're singing in Spanish and it would just sound like, like a Cuban bolero or a son or something like that, but it's actually an African band. So, um, I am actually on the internet very quickly and I don't want to, I should have prepared this, uh, but, um, I believe, What's a, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I want to add something onto this. So total improvisation. Okay. I believe, uh, that the original project of, um, that did not become, um, uh, Buena Vista Social Club was the original idea was to send African musician to Cuba to record. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I believe, and maybe if this is if this is not true, I apologize. But I think, and did not happen. And so what they did is they re-recorded with local people. Okay. However, years later, they did it, and I think there's an album called Afri 
Afro-Cubanism, uh, or African, I, I will add, when we post this somewhere, I will add the link, that actually they did record some of the, they, they did that exchange with African musician and Cuban musician. It's an incredible record. That's cool. Um, that, I didn't know that. That sounds like a really cool idea, even if it, it wasn't it was a really the cool original idea. main idea. And uh, I, I will, I remember buying the record when you re, it, it was released like 10 years after Buena Vista Social Club. And, um, and I, what you said, it was, those two were always connected. Okay. Mm -hmm. Reconnecting them like centuries later, it's incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah, so, that is really cool. To add that. So uh, it's your turn. I'm going to just, it's going to be more trivia side. Okay. Very simple. <laughs> okay. Not, not as deep. Uh, but um, it's for, I know we're going to have a lot of people from the US listening to this or from international audience. And we have not a lot of people listening to it, but they will be from <laughs> a lot of different countries. But I mentioned earlier Claude, Claude Francois, who was a big star in the 60s and 70s. He was born in Alexandria um, in Egypt, emigrated to Monaco, Monte Carlo with his family, built his career uh, adapting uh, uh, American standards or American popular songs into, uh, into the French market by adding French, um, French uh, lyrics. Uh, then developed his own style, went heavy into disco, but before he went into heavy uh, disco he was a singer songwriter he partner i forgot the name of the partner but they wrote a song called uh, come d'habitude which was a big hit in early 70s that paul anka heard when he was traveling to france brought it back to the us and wrote my way for himself and frank sinatra so that's a little trivia Whoa. Kind of, you were talking about things coming back into circle you know that's it you know, a That's guy, awesome. yeah. So a guy who's been adapting American music to French market got adapted himself in from French to English. So I thought that was kind of another good story that actually tied back into what you were talking about. That is, a, that's a great story. I, yeah. I hope that that guy um, never had to work again after that song came out. And <laughs> yeah, so it's tragic because actually was he electrocuted himself in his bathroom in like late 70s or early 80s, oh. late 70s. And yeah, and it was like literally at the start of where his career would have really exploded even further. Man. Uh, and to close it full circle, my dad was supposed to um, do an audition for being second keyboard. I leave it there. I leave it there. Well, you and I would have never met then. You would have lived Maybe. some crazy rock star Maybe. kid lifestyle. It was, it was supposed to be uh, the main keyboard player was a very good friend of my dad and asked him to audition. And it was supposed to happen like uh, a couple of weeks after, unfortunately, this tragic accident. There's a movie, actually. I forgot the name of the movie uh, that was released a couple of years ago that's, that goes through all of this. Of course, there's not part about my dad. And it's not about that. But interesting is we can it pretend is. we can like do a splice um, and just add your dad in. So yeah, so um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Well, Loic, we're coming to the end of our episode. Do you have yeah. a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. I mean, we were chatting. Uh, we had prepare the topics, but we also yeah. uh, explore things that we did not prepare. So I love it. We it's uh, it was fun. Was it fun to you? Sure. Uh, I had a great time. I always have fun talking to you. I think that's why we decided to do this. This is true. We <laughs> like, uh, and, and we always have like, we talk about something very specific and then we drift into like anecdotes, histories, and, 
and share and we wanted to basically share uh, this with other people. So we, um, we, we don't have yet, uh, do we have a, a guest for our next episode? We want to come back. I, th I think so. I think, uh, are, are we going to say it? Are you, are you, are I haven't are you actually ping, uh, got confirmation yet. So it will be too early. Well, we have, well, I have another one after that one, if that one goes through. So, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Vincent Henry, he's a really good friend of mine. He's a fantastic horn player, but just all around, like he plays everything. And I met Vincent when we, uh, worked on the Amy Winehouse back to black album. Uh, Vince is responsible for most of the horns um, on that record. So let's get Vince. Uh, so let's, get, let's get Vince on the next episode. We want to come back every other week or maybe every month. We we don't know yet. It depends what people <laughs> think about this. Uh, this, um, but yeah, the idea is to be in the twenty twenty five minutes. Uh, you know, talk about interview our guests, have them tell us something good. Hopefully, something that you know it would be news for everybody. Uh, doing very casual, talk about music, the impact of music on our lives, on their lives, uh, make it fun. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think for me, the goal is for people to listen to this on their lunch break and then have a fun fact to tell their coworkers. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um, great. So to everyone, please stay in touch with both of us. Uh, Frank um, is actually available through Twitter and Instagram at Alphabet Music. Uh, mm -hmm. And we'll put the links um, you know, in the description, myself, mm -hmm. I'm at Loic Maestrachi in one word on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, if you have if you have questions, we may bring up one of your questions or anecdotes in one of our future episodes. So feel free yeah. to make any recommendations of the guests you would like to see if you want to be a guest. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that closed our first episode. Frank, closing words for you. Um, my closing word is a thought that I had, um, and I know it's, it's it'll be. Uh, I'll just get to the point. I think that the fact that the the, the types of music and the chord structure has probably led us both to our love of Brazilian music. So that's maybe true. that's another that's another episode. Yeah, absolutely. We should definitely do. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot oh, of things we talk about. Yeah, we will. So let us know if you want us to talk about uh, Brazilian music or have a guest who can, uh, with whom we can talk about Brazilian music. We'd be more than happy. Again, we're looking for anecdotes. We're looking for what's... I think by the music, how you approach to music and how you discover music and my approach and how I discover music, we want to be a bit off the beaten path, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a bit what we're trying to bring here. So on this, thank you, everyone. Frank, it was a pleasure to do this. And... Uh, We'll do it again? Yes, sir. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye.